0: Go on the normal radio, free weed, free weed. Oh yo. Danny Danko come to show you how we crew. You're now tuned into Free Weed from Danny Danko on Normal Radio, presented by High Times Magazine. See me I boom bang, big respect. See me I Danny Danko.
1: Alright, yes, welcome to High Times Presents Free Weed from Danny Dinko, episode number 43. And thank you as always to Jacques and Winstrong for the tune. Check them out on SoundCloud.
2: Yes, do all of those things. Welcome to episode 43. Uh, say this every week or every fortnight, but I can't believe we've made it this far.
1: Yeah, 43 shows uh, celebrating. We're in our... our third year i guess of making shows like our 12th (laughs) and uh yeah this one is a uh panel that we did in seattle uh so we're gonna recap yet another
2: live free weed we we had a great time doing those listener questions uh, on the last episode Mm -hmm. but as dan mentioned this was a live free weed that we did at the uh, first seattle u.s cannabis cup yes and uh, yeah tell us tell them uh, who is on the panel
1: Oh, it's a uh, cavalcade of cannabis uh, all-stars. Kay from Tricome Technologies, who we've had on the show. uh, Drew West, uh, author of Secrets of the West Coast Masters, and also a uh, several-time participant on our podcast. Uh, Oddly,
2: all of these uh, panel members were on Free Weed at some point. Yeah,
1: of course, absolutely. So Drew West, uh, Kyle Cushman, our friend who actually ended up uh, uh, winning the uh, Cannabis Cup with the Strawberry Cough, um, which we'll talk about, and uh, Swerve from the Cali Connection Seed Company, uh, also appearing on that panel, and a legend, DJ Short, uh, who created the Blueberry Strain, the Flow Strain, the Old Time Moonshine. Uh, basically a legendary breeder of seeds and a great grower as well so it was a good mix you
2: had the old school with uh, with dj and and k and then you had some of the newer guys like drew west uh so it was it was a great panel absolutely. and we're gonna bring that to you in a little bit but first w- what do you say we just kind of go over some of the highlights from seattle
1: oh man this was a blast we had uh we had a great time the musical guests uh red man and slightly stupid at the wamu theater which was just uh you know, cavernous arena gigantic yes. yeah 7200 seat arena yeah. and uh with it a was... really fun backstage area as well yeah
2: and it was it was weird because it was right in between uh safeco field which is where the mariners play mm-hmm. and uh, and then uh century link field which is where the seahawks play and we were right in between those two things so <laughs> that was pretty pretty interesting
1: yeah yeah and shouts to red man and slightly stupid they had great performances uh carl denson playing with the slightly stupid guys and yeah it was just a great show um but that was just the vip party that saturday night um beyond that we had the the expo uh again at the fremont studios but we expanded that a bit and it definitely um had a a, a bigger kind of celebratory air than than the last one we did there since the law changed and everything so Yeah, I mean, we're expecting even bigger and better things from Seattle next year, too.
2: Yeah, we went to Fremont Studios again. We added 30,000 square feet of space. So uh, we had about 5,000 people attend.
1: Yeah, and and you could recreate. I mean, that's the thing. You had a medicating area for patients uh, with, you know, dispensaries there, and there was a recreating area as well, so... Well, technically, there weren't separate areas, which was
2: interesting. It was sort of just everyone was in it together, mm-hmm. and uh, you could recreate, you could medicate. If you know, it was open to all adults over the age of twenty-one. There was a little designated smoking area where mm-hmm. uh, we were in compliance with the law. So it, w- it was a great time, and uh, of course, on Sunday night we had the award ceremony where we honored weed, and we also gave away a lifetime achievement award.
1: Yes, to a uh, great friend. Uh, Rick Steves, the travel writer, author, uh, PBS host of a travel show. Um, you've probably all seen him uh, on television and maybe didn't know that he was a, a big supporter of marijuana law reform and, and actually you know, helped back the uh, the I-502 that, that helped to legalize in Washington. And so we honored him uh, for basically his achievements in cannabis uh, law reform. He, it's not something he has to do. He does it. Basically, because it's it's something he believes in and, you know, at some risk to his, you know, career. uh, And yet he really hasn't suffered a risk. In fact, I asked him, you know, um, he said once every once in a while I get a letter from someone who's angry about my cannabis uh, outspokenness. And basically, you know, I tell them I'm happy not to have them on my tour because it's not going to be as fun of a tour with a person like that. Uh, traveling with me so I thought that was really refreshing and uh, and yeah man we we, we got him up on stage he made a great speech about how high is a place and that's why as a travel writer he uh, you know it's a place that he likes to go and it's a place we should all be allowed to go and I thought that was a really interesting take on um, you know why we should legalize and why we should continue this fight so that you know it it gets through all the states and, and all the countries of the world
2: yeah, absolutely, and it was a, it was a cool moment. Uh, Vivian McPeak, who of course was the uh, is the Seattle Hempfest founder and won the uh, Doctor Lester Grinspoon Lifetime Achievement Award last year in Seattle, introduced Rick Steves, mm-hmm. and uh, he gave a really interesting acceptance speech. I really enjoyed it a lot. And of course, he wasn't the only uh, entity honored at that show. We of course gave away the prizes for the best pot hash and edibles.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're not going to get into everything that won and and and. uh, and all, but we definitely got to send shout out to Buds and Roses who took the second US hash cup. uh, I mean, US cannabis cup. uh, Last time it was the veganic Girl Scout cookies. And this time the veganic strawberry cough, uh, Kyle Cushman, Tyler, Aaron, all those guys um, that make buds and roses tick in Los Angeles are definitely like stepping up the game as far as what people are bringing to the table for these contests. It's pretty amazing.
2: It is indeed. And uh, of course, um, White Walker OG.
1: Yeah, that was in the US hash category. And that was a fantastic uh, entry from people who, you know, really were were unheard of uh, from us, basically, besides maybe Instagram, and managed to put themselves on the map with a hash win in a very, very tough category.
2: Yeah, that, of course, is Gold Coast Extracts. And, uh, you know, the U.S. hash is open to uh, both uh, solvent and non-solvent hash. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, uh, is a a solvent hash. But uh, did you try
1: that one? I did. I did. did That one was the one that disappeared the quickest. (laughs) It's usually a
2: good indicator. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. And people want to take take a look at pictures um you know really high quality photos of all of the entries you can take a look at, i think they even the winners have their uh, thc percentages on there and we have the gallery online at hightimes.com
2: yeah check that out uh, every winner and uh, the lab results for the thc and cbd that's up on hightimes.com uh, so go check that out and uh, you know seattle was a wonderful event but we have another really great event coming up in November.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's the Amsterdam Cannabis Cup, the 26th annual and people were wondering, you know, will will high times be back in Amsterdam and you know, the answer is a resounding yes. And people also might wonder, well, you know, you're doing these cups in the US, why should I bother going all the way over overseas? And my answer to that is quite simple. The the situation over there with the coffee shops and the way you can order off a menu um, be treated like a customer instead of a criminal. It's very unique. It's a, it's a, the coffee shop system itself is is just a wonderful thing to participate in. And, you know, you get your exotic hash over there too. You know, everything isn't about dabbing this and dabbing that. You can also uh, experience the terroir that's, that's inherent in something like a Moroccan double uh, O hash, like soft hash from Morocco or from, uh, you know, blonde Lebanese or, you know, there's just all that stuff that we don't really get a bunch of over here, but they have on the menu over there. And I think that's, along with the museums and the wonderful you know, culture of Holland, it's one of those experiences that's unique to that place. And yeah, we've already got Killer Mike and uh, LP, hip-hop artists, booked. We're trying to book uh, some other people that are pretty big names in the entertainment world. It's a four-day event. And uh, you know, I highly urge you, if you can, to get over there. At least, if you've never been, uh, definitely get over there. And
2: isn't it five days, Sunday through Thursday?
1: Right, four nights, five days. So yeah, actually, it's it's a five day event. You just got an extra day
2: there. (laughs) Yeah, no. And
1: you know, it's a lot better than spending Thanksgiving with your drunk uncle. Right.
2: Yeah. Especially your drunk uncle. (laughs) Yeah, particularly. It's a great city, and as Dan said, there's just something about uh, going into a coffee shop and looking at a menu and selecting some nice pot to smoke there. It's just it's a great experience. So if you yeah. haven't done that, you ought to come over to Amsterdam for the Twenty Six Cup.
1: And I can get you ten percent off your tickets if you go to uh, cannabiscup.com and click through. You can use promo code Danko D-A-N-K-O for ten percent off. It's almost thirty dollars off uh, the ticket to get you into that event i'll be there we'll be doing a live free weeds over there uh we're gonna have tons of entertainment so uh it's a fun time and i hope you guys can make it over to amsterdam for a cannabis cup i'll probably be doing a seminar every day if not uh yeah at least four days of that of that event i believe so at the
2: risk of just being too much danko i think we're gonna do that yeah, well have live <laughs> oh, we free did it weeds last year day. we ended yeah. up getting
1: that episode with simon from serious seeds which is a nice very you know very heavy duty episode of our podcast so yeah we're, we're gonna we're gonna record at least a few of them over there and so that'll be a lot of fun and yeah use that code d-a-n-k-o at uh, cannabiscup.com for 10 percent off your amsterdam 26th annual cannabis cup tickets
2: yes do that now uh you want to get ahead of that start planning it's coming up faster than you think so use that uh promo code danko and now Without further ado, let's listen to the panel from Seattle. Now, I know that this is probably a deterrent for at least three people out there, but I was not able to participate in this live free weed. I had to go set up the concert that we spoke about, the Red Man and Slightly Stupid show. But uh, I understand that Dan did a wonderful job.
1: Yeah, no, it was a really good one. I I felt like the information flowed out of everybody. And we really, you know, we got some interesting stuff uh, out of DJ Short and Swerve and Kyle Cushman, Drew West. Uh, Kay from Tricombe, he was on both panels uh, Saturday and Sunday. So, yeah, without any further ado, uh, let's play that panel and uh, we'll be back afterwards to wrap it up with Raw. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Seattle. You guys are amazing. Um, Really having a great time here. I've been hearing a little bit here and there from people, you know, about uh, this sort of conspiracy thing that Monsanto or or RJ Reynolds or all these companies are going to take over our industry with all this money. And we don't need them. They need us. So it's basically up to you guys now. Uh, If you can grow your own you have no reason to turn to companies like that for products that uh, are questionable, and that's why we're here talking about growing. Um, I'd like to introduce the panel uh, to my right. This is Kay from Tricome Technologies. They've been uh, the greatest grow rooms in high times, many times, and uh, you know he's a consultant that uh, works in the industry of cannabis production, and that includes uh, concentrate production, and grow rooms that are, uh, you know, the size of this room rather than the size of a, a bedroom or a closet. So we're going to talk about that with him. So thank you very much, Kay, from Tricom. Uh, to his right, Drew West is the author of uh, Secrets of the West Coast Grow Masters, and, uh, you know, a, a grow expert here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, specifically dealing with a lot of outdoor grows and how to get the most out of your plants um, using trellising techniques and things like that that we're going to talk with him about. So thank you very much, Drew. Uh, to his right, uh, high times alumnus and Cannabis Cup winner multiple times, uh, Mr. Kyle Cushman. Uh, also, he's going to talk about uh, veganic growing and vegan matrix and all kinds of really interesting things you can do Um Beyond even organic growing, where you can um, really just have very perfectly burning pot, which is how you win cannabis cups. Um, besides just having good genetics, you have to grow the plants properly and flush them properly. So we're going to talk about that with him. So thank you, Kyle. Thank you. Yeah, I actually owe my job at High Times to Kyle. So thank you again. <laughs> um, I used to say the same thing about pots <laughs> Okay. Um, to Kyle's right. Uh, is the founder and breeder for the Cali Connection. It is Swerve, um, multiple cup winner as well. Uh, incredible seed, uh, vast uh, knowledge, and incredible seed breeder, and uh, multiple cup winner as well. And also the sponsor of the party tonight, the homegrown party, is a Cali Connection party with Red Man and Slightly Stupid and Carl Denson and... Uh, Marlon Asher, it's going to be a fun time tonight, so hope, I hope I see you guys all at the WAMU Center tonight for the party uh, with our friend Red Man and our friends from Slightly Stupid. And so thank you, Swerve. Thanks for sponsoring that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and to his right, a legendary cannabis breeder, um, the creator of Blueberry, <laughs> something you, pro- you guys have probably heard of. Uh, flow, old-time moonshine, and a ton of really stable, really incredible and unique genetics, DJ Short. (laughs) So that's the panel for today. We're going to do this again tomorrow uh, with a different panel at 3 o'clock, but let's get into growing. Let's um, specifically talk with Kenny. Because we're in a state now, um, Colorado and Washington have very recently basically gotten the green light from the federal government in some ways to grow big and so i want to ask kenny in particular uh... what are some of the differences that you get that you encounter when you go from let's say a a bedroom or you know a four to eight light system to a huge kind of warehouse system
0: the answer is everything everything changes exponentially from the air in from the water filtration from the way you handle the facility as far as, you know, uh, you know your number one priority is not to get this thing infected with any kind of pest disease. So the genetics that come in have to be super clean. So, you know, when you've got millions of dollars invested, I mean, everything heightens. So yeah, water sterilization, air sterilization, And just the methodologies. The methodologies have to be as efficient as possible, because as Colorado learned, the cost of production is really, really, and the The number one thing that's going to make your business successful is just, you know, top quality with cost of production is, is, is paramount. If you don't adhere to those two things from the beginning, if you do them by default in the end as the market, as the market slips and the prices uh, drop, I mean $100 dollars an ounce in Colorado is hard to survive on in a large scale facility so you've got to make that thing very, very efficient and that's pretty much the biggest thing it's just safety prevention and efficiency
1: now why uh- Why aren't people considering maybe a a greenhouse type of environment? Would that reduce the cost of production for every gram that you produce? Is that... You can go ahead.
0: Absolutely. In Israel, we produce uh, 250 pounds to 350 pounds per month for 50 cents a gram, utilizing the sun and supplemental lighting. And we can run four to five crops per year. In the the colder months, we get a little bit lower yield and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, it's all calculable. But yeah, so the lowest cost of production is definitely, the future is definitely in a greenhouse.
1: Cool. Um, Drew, I want to ask you, because specifically the medical laws here in Washington allow uh, people to grow, I believe, 15 plants each. Now, how would they get the most out of each plant? What's, what's the proper technique to, to yield big? Well, what we
3: teach, what I wrote about in the book, uh, Secrets of the West Coast Masters, is all about... It's all about training the plants. It's more so than how you feed them or or anything else, but how you train them. And actually, what you want to do is maintain a level canopy and get that canopy as low and as wide as possible, never allowing a certain branch to overcome the others. Um, You know, basically, the reason that is is because the plant's sensitive to gravity and it can tell which branch is higher. So it's gonna send the most growth hormone to that branch and that's gonna be your big cola at the top of your plant that you always have and then the buds below that are always a little bit smaller. When you train the plant out you know, vertically, I mean horizontally rather, and you get you know, multiple tops, every one of them can be symmetric and look exactly the same provided one's not higher than the others. So to do that, you know, you want to build a little structure around the plant we call scrog, and then use a trellis net to kind of, you know, train the plant into, use it to spread the branches out so everything gets an equal amount of light, and then you also use it to add extra support to the plant. You know, so basically the idea to get the most out of the least number of plants is to Train them out with a premeditated, you know, outcome. You want to know exactly what it looks like. Get them to do that. You know, get that down, and then you can get anywhere between one to two pounds per plant indoors under a thousand watt light that way.
1: You know. And that requires a longer vegetative cycle as well, though. So you, rather than switching to twelve twelve uh, on and off uh, with your lighting early, you wait a month, maybe five weeks. Right. and then you trigger the flowering period
3: yeah, typically six weeks and i mean everything it's going to be uh, dependent on the strain more than anything you know we suggest to use a good hybrid 50 50 60 40 like sativa dominant hybrid that's going to give you a little bit more branching a little bit faster veg time but you know if you're working with one bud room and one veg room you've always got two months to veg you know, at least. Because that's how long it takes to pull, you know, for your other stuff to harvest. So you always have that time. The veg time isn't much of a consideration. Typically, I tell people six weeks for a good, you know, for a good sativa dominant and about, you know, seven to eight weeks for just like a strong indica like Kush plant or something, you know. But you have to remember that they always double... Sometimes triple in size once you throw them into buds. So that's it's, the all stretching about, period, right? it's all about developing the structure, like the symmetrical, mathematic structure that's going to give you a predictable outcome. You
1: know, and that's the size of your container is pretty important too. If it matters
3: a lot. You know, uh, you need. You know, right now we're running. 15s, you know, for, 15 the indoor, yeah, for the indoors, you know, and that's pretty good. If it's a longer strain, like a sativa, like a haze or something that's going to be in there longer, put it in a little bit bigger pot because it needs more time for the roots, you know. And that, you know, that dictates, you know, the strain can dictate <laughs> the size, but also, you know, the... Like, bud mass is tantamount to dried root mass, you know? So you want to give as much room for roots to grow as possible when you're dealing with these bigger plants, for sure, yeah.
1: So for your perspective purposes of uh, a 5-gallon Home Depot bucket, that's a 5-gallon bucket. He's talking about three times that size indoors. So 15-gallon containers are very large. They allow the roots to form a large root system, which is the only way that you're going to get a big yield from every plant
4: right come on Um, aren't you going to mention your old story more roots more fruits (laughs) more root more fruit (laughs) we want to hear it (laughs) that's gross bliss actually but
1: uh, yeah Kyle I want to talk to you a bit about I guess um, we'll talk about veganics and what that means uh, how that's different from organics and also uh, why why does it make the end product
4: better um you know, I was—I gotta admit—I was really surprised myself in the beginning, being an organic grower for over twenty years, and I thought I had reached my pinnacle. You know, and then I found—I found veganics, vegan or veganics found me. And um, again, I thought it was just me being biased, but after you start sharing it with everybody, and everybody has the same reaction, that it's just—it's better and it's cleaner. And what um, that
1: means is there's no. Uh, animal products, so um, things such as bat guano, which is basically poop, and uh, blood meal and bone meal, those are products that you get from a slaughterhouse. They're still organic, right? I mean, they're considered organic, they're OMRI certified, but they're meat meat derived products, and they have a more complex biological structure, I would think. So veganics is using things like kelp,
4: You know, seaweed, Chilean nitrate, plant extracts, fermented, uh, fermented, and uh, homogenized plant extracts,
1: oxygenated compost tea. I would imagine exactly.
4: You know, it's a long subject. It's not. I guess I'm not really that good at encapsulating it all in one thing. But the main the main points are uh, a lot of organic uh, fertilizers or amendments take more time to fully break down than you're going to have in that one crop cycle anyways. So you end up putting stuff in the soil that doesn't end up getting fully metabolized, nor does it become fully decomposed. Veganic nutrients are nearly 100% bioavailable from the moment that you introduce them to the soil. So the plants don't have to work as hard to get at the food, and when they're done metabolizing the food, there's very little residue left. When you're done uh, metabolizing all the nutrition out of things like bone meal and blood meal and things like that, and especially guanos and feces, you have garbage left over. You know, It's kind of like minus poop. It's poop minus something, but it's still poop. And it's in your bucket, and it's um, ultimately going to affect the finishing pH of your soil and it's mingling in with your roots that are now getting two and three months old, and it makes it... It's a little bit easier for your plants to continue photosynthesizing in a cleaner environment, in in a veganic cultivation environment. All right. Thank you. You're welcome.
1: Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the importance of genetics, um, and I'm going to ask Swerve in particular. uh, Being a breeder, uh, being able to take certain strains that people consider, you know, clone-only, a lot of the the cushes and things that he's been able to bring to the market as a seed rather than something that you could only get if you had a friend who had a mother plant and a clone. Um, so let's talk about a little bit about just the importance of great genetics when you're growing and how that makes a big difference.
5: Genetics are keen. That's obviously yeah. the uh, first thing to uh, worry about, uh, I guess it's uh, the old fable, you can't get gold from pyrite. So that's one thing that you always have to keep in mind. If you've ever had a strain that you deemed mediocre and you've run it and run it and run it and dialed it in and it's still the same, obviously it's the genetic that's the issue. It's not the actual grower. So maybe you consider to move on to something new and you grow and you find something better. Uh, You know, genetic diversity, in my opinion, right now, is kind of at its, I'd say, wit's end, because there's so many bastardized versions of everything, myself included. Um, I mean, I'll throw myself under the bus on that. I don't, I don't really mind, but uh, you know, that's the issue that I, that I'm seeing now is more. You got 500 OGs, you got 500 Cushes, you got 500 this, you got, you know, there's really what three Super Silver Haze's, maybe one original haze if you're lucky to find that. Aside from that, you know, genetic diversity now is all cush, cush, cush. It's a cush-driven dri- market, in my opinion. And that's because it's a faster flower, and it has the hit, the punch that everybody's looking for that medicates you quite well. Uh, so, I mean, I think right now, if you were to be smart, you would do your best to get multiple strains in your garden and start dialing in and learning multiple genetics at the same time not the same genetic don't dial just one in and keep that as your cash crop or your baby i would suggest to to branch out a little bit spread out a little bit because you know what that's what this plant likes to do it likes to spread out and gain up room give yourself a little bit more of a of a balance you know indica sativa hybrid
4: i just want to suggest though that if you are starting just starting out you should probably stick to i don't know if you mentioned just stick to one start off with one strain and branch out after you get a little familiarity. It can be really hard to actually dial in a room if you're growing for the first time with four strains that you've never grown before because you don't know who to pay attention to, you know?
3: Not all (laughs) strains want to eat the same thing. You mix up a formula that one likes, you know, you feed it to all four of them and it's their first time doing it. Now you've just thrown like an infinite amount of variables into what could go wrong with your harvest at the end. You know, if one, two or three of them don't turn out, two of them are real good and you have no idea, you know, if you don't spend the individual time with individual strains to learn what they like, you know, they just can't assume they're all going to want the same
4: thing. Yeah, I'll, 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 most strains will grow within a certain parameter, within a certain NPK ratio, on your, on your, they're all pretty much close, it's, it has a lot to do with um, slight diversions in nitrogen, slight diversions in the phosphorus, and mostly when you ramp up and ramp down the nutrients because they have different flowering times. So you know, unless you're into making four different nutrient buckets of nutrient solution, then, um, which would be a very, very good way to learn, um, it's good to start off with just uh, um, one or two strains of either indica or sativa.
1: But even with veganics, you would say that it's important to flush the nutrients out for the last week to two weeks with plain water. I mean, that goes for sure, organic, absolutely. chemical, nutrient, uh, absolutely. rock, wool soil mix, pretty much anything, yeah?
4: Absolutely. The plants, um, they have an ability to store s- uh, certain nutrients um, for hard times, should it be dry or things like that. Um, and it's always good to give yourself at least 10 to 14 days, even with veganics, of just plain water. They really, uh, they really clean and flush out. Um, you, sometimes uh, you can continue to give the enzyme formula into the... Just leave one week... I like to use the enzymes almost to, uh, almost to the very end and give them a good one week with just plain water.
1: And I, I can't emphasize enough, it's one of the most important variables when you're judging strains. It, it, a lot of times it's the same, you know, like you said, the kush, 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 whatever it might be, it's the same strain entered by three different growers. And at that point, you're not judging the strain, you're judging the grower and how cleanly the, the pot burns. And that's... A direct factor based on how well flushed it is and a lot of times harvest time creeps up on you Uh, you know suddenly you look you know you look through your microscope and it's time and you haven't had a chance to flush but you really have to think back two weeks prior to that and plan to start that flushing process and just use plain water during that time. So you've just
4: illustrated why you must have a grow calendar. Calendar You have to have a grow calendar.
1: Notes and calendar is something I don't See enough growers do, and it's very important. You want to know
0: what day you planted, what day every single thing occurred. So that's important. Exactly. So it's, it's all about keeping records and, and refining those variables. Each strain, each genetic, wants to, a different thing at different time. Not only food, but pH. Yeah. You know.
4: Absolutely. Very good point.
1: I want to uh, ask DJ Short a little bit about uh, the selection process when you're breeding, uh, let's say, a strain like blueberry. How? What's that process like? As a breeder, to get something to, to market?
6: Well, for me, you have to understand I was very lucky. The things that came to me, the land race varieties, the Highland Thai, the Highland Oaxacan, um, the Chocolate Thai, and the Afghan. Um, those being the P1s, the first parental generation, um, crossing the Afghan with the Sativa, very dissimilar. Uh, phenotypes I mean just as similar as they can get produce the F1 seeds um, which is the first filial generation and they're all uniform they're kind of something in between all of them Uh, I liken them to Lebanese plants medium height long spear-shaped buds Uh, and in my F1s the full cacophony of you know it's like you spilled paint in a candy factory and and just new carpeting and all kinds of things going on. Um, then in the F2s is where I saw the diversity begin to happen. Um, so for using blueberry as an example, I would find a very berry-leaning uh, male, very berry-leaning female across those. If I did it right, when I grow them out in the F3, I should be seeing 25 to 50% of that in the progeny. If I do, then I continue that on, and in the F3s, I'll pick another uh, very berry-leaning female, very berry-leaning male, and uh, harden that down to the F4s, which then ideally should be coming in at 50%. Uh, the seeds I release are F5s, uh, pretty much guarantee 50%, but you should see 75% of the progeny uh, exhibiting the desired uh, trait. So it's it's just selection, um, a big part of it, too, I think, is uh, Luther Burbank' uh, his rule: select the best and reject all others. And the hard part, especially when you're spending a hundred, two hundred dollars a pack for seeds, is rejecting the others. But it's a discipline that you need to do. Some of the, uh, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't think this, but over time, I've learned that the the fastest, biggest growing plants, I just call out automatically because they're producing fiber, um, I found. So also, um, first to sex generally get called out because early flowering, for, in my opinion, isn't indicative to uh, good experience in the end run.
4: I want to quote Aaron from DNA from our panel in uh, Denver. You have to learn to kill plants. Yeah, you have to kill a lot of plants,
1: and that's a a learned discipline for sure. Hey, you guys, as always, Free Weed is brought to you by BC Northern Lights. Now, what do they do? They make a premier grow box, several different options, also with touchscreen controls, all kinds of state of the art stuff. Everything's automated. Everything is simple. And you can have free weed yourself at home with these grow boxes. They've got uh, deals for free weed listeners too. So if you mention the show, you mentioned Danny Danko, you mentioned free weed, you mentioned Mike Hughes. They charge you more. If you mention Mike <laughs> they Hughes. charge you more if you mention Mike Hughes. So yeah. don't do that. But mention the show and you will get $100 off shipping, um, some free nutrients for six months, all kinds of deals that they have. BC Northern Lights. and BC Northern Lights at 888-236-1266. Toll free. Get yourself a grow box and some seeds and you'll never have to buy pot again. Call them. I also want to ask you about something we've been talking about. um, Slightly controversial subject. This 13 and 11... Uh,
6: flowering cycle. Sure. Can, you, can you explain a little bit about that? Sure. Well, first of all, uh, I got this information from old timers in the mid-80s, and these were old timers that were like wrapping their own ballasts. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, these, these were old timers, and they told me, no, no, a little bit longer on the dark side. Um, and uh, what, I, what I dialed that down to was um, 11 hours on, 13 off. I know you're accustomed to the 12-12 in flower, but by doing the 11 on 13 off, in essence, what happens you will see phenotypic expressions in the end that you will not see with the 12 12. And I think that's part of also what helped me find a lot of these uh, diverse things. Now, there's very few strains, there are a few out there that I'm sure are accustomed to the 12 12, but they're not that many. Um, now, what happens is plants. Take in nutrient during the daylight hours. And remember, a plant's main source of food is light. Okay, not additives. It's the light. Um, And so by uh, giving them just a little bit longer dark period, the other side of that coin is the plants put that uh, nutrient into fiber during the dark period. So they'll stretch a little more at night. You'll actually increase production, cut your electricity costs back by 112 um, at least. But I, I swear by it uh, in terms of finding special things in the end that otherwise would not present themselves. It's a, it's a phenotypic reaction. We have genotype and phenotype. And a real quick little uh, lesson on that would be a cold temperature purpling Um, In order for a plant to turn purple in cold temperatures, it has to have that in its genotype. And genotype is just the genetic makeup. Phenotype are the expressions we're seeing that the environment is coaxing. And there's a lot of work we can do with our uh, indoor environment, Um, different frequencies alike. I I prefer the the, uh, blue-leaning highlights for flowering. It just brings out a lot more flavor, I think, than the sodiums do. So uh, that's what we're looking to do. For, is to for the
4: whole cycle? Yes. You prefer the blue halides
6: for flowering? Well, no, more towards the end. Oh. Definitely towards the end. And back the lights off towards the end because light breaks down the of cannabinoids.
4: Course. So what, in what, uh, how many weeks of, uh, at the end of the flowering cycle do you like to change over to the blues?
6: I have a blue in there all the time, basically, so I haven't really done that experiment to see pulling them in. But I did notice, you know, touring a lot of gardens in Europe when it was all sodiums, right? Everything in Europe was sodiums. And you'll notice the sodium lights, in my opinion, tend to bring out that kind of sour, bitter, citrus, lime, piney, uh, flavors that tend to dominate, whereas if you want these subtle, sweet aromas, you really got to you know play with the light, back them off, that and the uh, three-day dark period before harvest
0: about a 60-40 mix of metal halide to sodium halide is what sure, I prefer. Sure, sure. Any, any it's blues, absolutely fantastic. Any blues you're a, getting a, a, in a, there. A, any blues. And they're also yep. killing some of the powdery mildew spores yep. or any of that other stuff. So y- you natural said 60-40 pestin,
4: halide to sodium? Uh, 60-40
0: sodium halide to metal sodium halide. Sodium to halide. halide. Yeah, yeah, getting 60 any, 40 any blue metal in there. 40%. Through the full Con- cycle? Full cycle.
3: Are you, are you talking within the same hood, like one of those hoods that offers a halide bulb and a sodium bulb in the same reflector? Or are you just, are you staggering them from you know halide to sodium, or how, how are you configuring that
1: exactly? It's a checkerboard, I think. Yeah, right? checkerboard staggering,
0: yeah. but it's based. It's proven by the theory that the Hortelux bulb that you're talking about does have a 46 mix, and it's a great, great theory, but the bulb doesn't really work no, that I well. I meant like
3: the uh, reflectors that you actually run off of. Oh, with uh, a dual there's bulb. There's like a 400 watt halide and then like a 600 watt high pressure sodium in the same.
0: Yeah, that's a theory exactly. on that. That's they fantastic. They have those, yeah, uh, yeah. Mixed spectrum. Exactly. Like. Or they have it in one bulb. I want to, uh,
1: I want to ask Swerve, uh, you're a seed breeder. What's your preferred or recommended method for people to germinate their seeds?
5: Oh, uh, okay. I got a pretty foolproof method. Um, everybody goes the typical paper towel route,
1: wet paper towel, wet paper towel. with the seed in the middle
5: and you have the, just put it in the soil, make sure, you know, problem with the paper towel method that I have is too many people cook their seeds cause they try to make it in a warm area and then they put it on top of their cable box and completely forget about it and they come back to mush and then they're like, well, what happened? But um, my foolproof method um, that I personally use, and this is how I germ test basically every seed that I ever put out, uh, well, not those seeds, but from the packs, is uh, just a glass of water, distilled water. Regular pH, distilled water. I don't do anything with it. No temperature, as long as it's room temperature. What pH? Uh, Literally, you can use distilled pure, so it's 6 A point zero, seven point zero. I've never bothered to pH myself. I've I've never never pHed it. I'm horrible. I'm. I'm. If you really want my honest opinion, I just get a glass of a water that I, you know, we didn't finish. That was basically going to be for the, you know, pieces or, just a quick little out of the sink and just fill half a cup up and I throw hundreds of seeds in. Literally, just throw them into the water. They float. They sink. And some and they sprout. They usually germinate. Some germinate on top of the water, some germinate down at the bottom of the water, but that's my method. And the longer you leave it in the water, the longer the taproot usually tends to grow. Now, cold water, not good. <laughs> Hot water, not good. What's the idea? Like 75, 78? tepid water. Yeah, room water. temperature. Just room temperature water. Nothing, and, you know, crazy. Just
1: now how long once it cracks open in the you know the taproot starts coming out how long do you wait before you put that into
5: i usually go to about a quarter inch taproot sometimes maybe an eighth inch sometimes you know a little bit longer depending sometimes the seeds are like yo i want to go into soil or i want to go into my medium because i have a taproot this long and i'm already shedding my seed husk so it's time to actually plant me you know but most of the time they're so fast that you know you you have no choice but to actually plant them because they're like okay let's let's grow here we're we're we're, we're moving we're working you need to catch up
4: i just recently had a little i was uh, challenged to see I, I told one of my uh, partners that once the taproot gets too long that there's a good chance that it won't it won't sprout because so i always used to pick the ones that had the nice hearty little quarter inch straight taproot and that was the ones and the ones on the plate that had shed the shell and were getting all fuzzy and stuff, I'm like, those will never sprout. 100%. I was amazed. I took every one of them, put them in the ground. They all wanted to live. And uh, so you never know. You can't tell just by which one cracked out of the shell first which is going to be the best seed. So if you've got yourself a pack of 10, you definitely want to make sure to put them all in the ground and at least give them that start. Select you know, from that point on.
6: I actually prefer letting the tap get a little longer, about two inches longer. Um, Indica, in particular, uh, sometimes won't shed the shell or the little sheath over the uh, cotyledon, and I found that to be the most foolproof method. Then what I like to do is take a beer cup, fill it maybe two-thirds with soil, uh, wet it really nicely, uh, aeration holes in the bottom, of course, drainage, Uh, Then I put a nice hole down and I will bury that two inch, two, three inch taproot right up to the cotyledon in the soil. And as it grows and stretches, add more soil to the cup and then you get stability and and, uh, more roots.
4: That's great. I like that because I find myself doing a lot of uh, seed surgery. You know what I mean by seed surgery? You know, you, you put the best ones in the ground and they start pushing up and they're not popping off that shell. So you got to get in there and real carefully. You're not trying to snap the little baby's neck, and you try to crack off that shell, you know. And but you know, I, I think I'm going to give a try of letting them get a little bit longer. It's easy to put a nice deep hole and just put it in there, nice and perpendicular, uh, vertical. Yeah, good. That's a good tip. Uh, let's talk a little bit about
1: the fim- fimming <laughs> method that the you. The fuck I miss technique. Yeah, the, that, that technique and what that does. Uh, in terms of uh, increasing yield and and how it's
4: accomplished? Um, Well, actually, it's not really called Bleep I Missed. Um, Actually, FIM was the name, uh, was the uh, uh, initials of the person who sent it into me when it was a tip of the month when I was writing it back at high times. And somebody just coined that phrase, and it kind of caught on. But basically, uh, when you go to top your plants... If you use a nice, clean, fresh pair of scissors or a razor blade and make a nice, clean cut, a clean, vegetative cut, you'll end up just getting the two uh, nodes on the side, the two branches that were already forming on the side of the main branch are going to be what's going to come out, and that's what forms the V. But it seems like if you get in there and kind of miss a little bit or mangle it a little bit, I just, that's why I always use my nails, and I don't even have any nails, so I just kind of like mash it. And sometimes you'll get two, three, four tops growing out of the same place. And that's basically the FIM technique. Cool. Yeah, just, just try to mess it up. Don't try to do it neatly. Try to mess it up, and you'll get more tops.
6: And I was just reading on that also. Uh, that in, that uh, influences polyploidy. And sometimes one of the branches will actually look a bit different. Um, the old technique for doing this was colchicine. If you do a search on colchicine, it's a mutagen, and I'm pretty sure, I'm relatively certain it was used on the chocolate tie and possibly the highland tie that I've worked with, and that's why you see the variegation, uh, the deformities, the uh, albino splotching. These are all indicative of a colchicine regimen. Um, Now mainly colchicine is a a medicine for gout, but if you do a wikipedia on it and and look down under botanical uses it's used to uh, inspire polyploidy and to just really mix up the genes and and bring out things you wouldn't see otherwise. The
4: thing I hate about the polyploidy is you end up getting sometimes you get those ones that get the flat stem And it just ends up being nothing but pistols. There's no trichome. I mean there's no uh, calyxes. It's just pistols Yeah Interesting.
1: Um, Kay, did you, uh, did you want to talk about a little bit about how to get uh, larger yields from each plant? Is there any kind of uh, technique that you can do in a, a larger warehouse type grow to get more out of each plant?
0: And most of it. It's just about the efficiency of your yield. You've got to pretty much figure out you know, what size, as Drew talks about, what, what methodology are you going to go? See a green, is that your most productive? Well, then you got more plants and more plants to take care of. So maybe you want a larger plant and a little bit less maintenance on each one. So first of all, you have to figure out what exactly your style and what your methodology is. You know, how much waste you want going out of this facility? Is it going to be soil-based? And are you going to get a sterile soil before you put it into a large-scale situation? And if you do put soil-based or organic uh, methodologies into that facility, you'll never pass ISO standardization, say, Vedrocan or something like that. And maybe that's what the Canadian government's looking for, or, you know, the new emerging market and stuff like that, is is things that are a little bit more uh, pest and disease-free than just going ahead and putting uh, predator mites and um, ladybugs and letting them fight it out, you know what I mean? So it's So is hydroponics the preferred method of large-scale...
1: Growing Like in Israel or it is. Colorado? It is. Well, in, Israel,
0: in Israel, we're doing soil-based with uh, greenhouses. But, you know, when I visit something like Howling Nurseries in Camarillo, California, I mean, they got a $50 million greenhouse, and they're going or, you know, uh, hydroponic-based. They've got a coco-core 36-inch uh, slab by, I think, 8-inch, 9-inch deep, and they just let the tomatoes grow 20-foot tall in, a, I think, a 9-month growing cycle harvest repetitiously, cut those down, replace them with new plugs. So in a large, sustainable greenhouse like that, and plus the environmental impact. You don't want to just have hundreds of thousands of tons of soil going in and out of this thing unnecessarily right. without the ability to sterilize and really know you're safe. Interesting.
4: I would I like to say that um, especially, you know, like Drew said and like Ken Kay said, um, a good pruning practice, a good pruning regimen Uh, Whether you're calling it super cropping or um, scrog, but uh, employing some kind of a really good uh, pruning regimen at the right time, that's another time when you have to be on point. You can't prune them up a week or two too late you know, uh, that's the thing that you have to get on, will really uh, make up for a lot of things. It will, it's a real big yield increaser. Is a good pruning regimen.
3: For sure. Everything that you take off the bottom will always reappear back up at the top, especially if you're using this canopy style, you know. Um, the other way to increase yield, like, maybe not, well, even outdoor. I mean, we do outdoor. We have plants that are 8 foot by 8 foot, frames with two by fours that are 12 foot tall with five layers of scrog on it, you know, and these, you know, these things will easily pull 10 pounds off each one, you know what I mean? And that's in a greenhouse 24 by 40, you know, we have, you
6: know, several
3: in there, but it's like the way to get the most yield is really the easiest thing you can do inside is use that horta trellis net, I mean, we, you, it serves so many purposes. It, like I said, it spreads it out, which allows the light to get in. It spreads the plants out and helps you maintain the canopy, but it also adds extra support. Like if you've ever had a branch break off the side of your plant, like it just goes and branch breaks, bug gets too big. Most of the time, the plant will turn off production before that happens as like a self-preservation move. You know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna break its own arm if it can help it. You know, so when you're holding, when you're using this scrog net to add extra reinforcement to hold it up, it never tells itself to chill out. You know, it never tells itself to slow down. You're going to break your arm. You know, it, they just keep going until it's ready to harvest. Yeah, and that's how you get
4: absolutely. It's like a plant that is supported will always grow faster than a plant that needs to be supported.
3: Right, and it's not stressed, so everything is just going into forming the crystals, which ultimately is the plant's life cycle. It, force, it's, it makes the crystals, so it has a better chance of catching the pollen, has a better chance of having babies, and fulfilling its plant destiny. You know, it, it, that's, And then
4: next, so, so now that you're concentrating all this time on making a good uh, even canopy and focusing on your budding sites, don't forget about your root zone, because ultimately... The size of the mass of the root zone determines, actual, according along with the amount of surface area you have for leaf to collect the sunlight, True is that. going to determine the ultimate um, potential for your plant if all the other parameters are right. So your root zone, pay attention to your pH and beneficial microbes and fungi, and exactly. pay attention to your root zone.
0: Cool. <laughs> and, you were going to ask that. Ne- you are going to ask that next, yeah. right? Yeah. And also, by eliminating all that lower material, you increase your airflow, which yes, is a fantastic branches. thing. You you lessen your infection rate. Everything else. So all that lower material needs to go. Like Drew said, it'll all reappear on the top.
1: We're talking about pruning lower branches that aren't going to reach the light anyway. Um, and also important to note that you shouldn't prune tops uh, within, let's say, a week or two. Of when you start flowering, or certainly never during flowering.
4: That's a good way to minimize your yield.
1: You have to give the plant, anytime you prune, you have to give the plant a chance to recover from the pruning and build more branches for the one that you pruned off and then flower after that because you will affect the ultimate yield if you prune right before you switch to twelve twelve and start flowering.
3: And the plant's are already gonna be stressed out by the fact that you just switched its photo cycle so drastically, you know what I mean? Like uh kind of non sequitur but make me think of that you know if you're using 24 hour light for your veg you should probably knock it down to 18 hours of veg for at least a week or so before you throw it into the 12 and 12 a little bit more of a gradual you know because that first if you stress it out in those first couple weeks of bud then it it just ruins everything you know everything else is just behind you'll never get a full bud formation it's just that's the most crucial time yeah so don't go cutting on it and doing all kinds of crazy stuff like Danny
4: just said. Yeah. Um. That's also why I've recently switched over to a 20-hour growth cycle instead of a 24-hour growth cycle. I find it, uh, the plants just prefer it. They're a little bit happier, a little bit less stressed out. You're talking
1: about during the vegetative during stage. During the vegetative cycle. So and, then,
4: you- and then switch straight from the 18 and 6 to 12 and 12, and you get a pretty nice pronounced bud set. Because the one yep. thing you want to be, be wary of if you're going to go from 24 to 18 to 12 is that if you have a strain that likes to stretch, you could be encouraging that. So before it finishes its bud set, which is the time when the plant um, stops really growing and more of the energy is, is uh, uh, turned to making flowers, um, then you'd want to have the switchover directly right. from your vegetative flowering time, photo period, to your Right. So you're flowering for a time because you're going to get a quicker bud set. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I don't recommend a 24-hour on anyway. I think DJ made the best argument because the plant needs the dark time to, to do its actual fibrous growth. So um, even like you said, a four hours is enough, but 20 and four, eighteen 18 and...
4: The reason why I adopted the 20 and 4 is because growing with so many of these um, super hybridized strains, a lot of them will begin to flower under only 6 hours of light. So you don't want to be messing with that. You're trying to get vegetative growth. So 20 and 4 seems to work it's really well.
6: The only times I'll use a 24 is in a regreen project to try and uh, coke something back, and I'll only do it for 48 maybe 72 hours and then drop back to a dark cycle.
1: You're talking about re-vegging a plant that's already flowered. Correct. All right. Okay. Hey everybody, sorry to interrupt. This is Danny Danko and you are listening to Free Weed. I'd like to tell you a little bit about one of our sponsors. It's Gorilla Seed Bank. These guys are in the UK. They carry a bunch of seeds. They ship worldwide. They've got Big Buddha, DNA genetics. Many of our our guests that we've had on the show um scentsy seeds even joint doctor greenhouse seeds they carry all those seeds they ship worldwide they've got feminized auto flowering if you're interested in that they've got regular they got them all and we really appreciate their support and they have a special deal actually going for free weed listeners if you call them and you mention our show you get a free five pack of big bang two from feminized seeds while supplies last now that's with a purchase of course but uh, if they run out, they said they're going to substitute a random five-pack from the same brand. And basically, you know, that's five free, free seeds from them while supplies last if you mention our show. So check them out. Definitely support our, our uh, sponsors, Gorilla Seed Bank uh, on Twitter. Follow them on Twitter. Uh, check them out there. They're on Facebook as facebook.com slash Gorilla Seeds. You can go directly to their website and check them out at g o r i l l a cannabis seeds.co.uk and you can even call them 24 hours a day local call rates apply at 02087207323 check them out thank you gorilla seed bank All right, I think uh, maybe it's time to take some questions from the audience for you guys. I'm gonna see if uh, you want to take the
0: Hi, ten up? uh I had a question about the uh, the 13 and 12, or sorry, 13 and 11. Uh, at the equator, we have the longest day of 13 hours, short day 11. Correct. Could you veg a sativa under 13 hours?
6: Yes, absolutely, and as a matter of fact, if you're doing an R&D project where you're looking specifically for, you know, sativa phenotypes, that would be my recommendation, would be your veg cycle, then would be 13 on, 11 off, and then you switch to the 11 on, 13 off, and if you think about it, on the equator, that's what, a six-month period in between that very little amount of time, that's why sativa takes so long to finish, Farther north you go, the days get really long in the summer, but they shorten rapidly, and the plants need to finish quickly. But by all means, yeah, I'd be curious to do it. It's something I I look forward to doing at some point in the future.
5: As a personal grower in the Pacific Northwest, um, growing outdoors where you don't have environmental controls, mold, mold. It controls everything. Um, harvest controlled by not when the bud's ready, but when mold starts setting in. What suggestions would you have to help us?
3: Light deprivation. We grow it, I live in central Oregon, 4,800 feet above sea level. We know, it, it froze like a week ago. You know, uh, But we have a sick greenhouse, and we're able to have that due to light depth. We have to veg indoors. You know, we get our plants about the size of that thing. And then we put them out in the greenhouse and we give them two months just like they were indoors. But you got to pull a tarp over it every night and close out all the light and control. The photo period 12 on 12 off if you do that you're done in two months or whatever time it takes and you don't have to worry about so many of those other factors towards the end of it when it starts to get cold and more moist you get to enjoy more of the summer weather you know and then still finish it up that's the only way i've found it to be um successful to do any type of large scale outdoor here in the pacific northwest Um, My area is more desert-like than it is here, you know, granted it's a lot, um, it's a lot more moist in Washington and over in the valley side of the Cascades, Um, but yeah, that's, if I was setting somebody up, I would set them up with a greenhouse and teach them how to light dep, and that's kind of, I think, the way to do it around here.
1: And basically it's light deprivation, uh, you have a greenhouse. Um, you can do it manually, like he said, where you're closing it and opening it. You can have it set on a timer so that it does it itself back and forth with a winch and that sort of thing. Um, the
4: phrase you're looking for is forced flowering.
1: Forced flowering. And, and that way you're, doing, you're, you're, you know, you're flowering earlier in the summer, um, and so you're avoiding some of the most uh, moist parts of the season. And Uh,
3: the other advantage is if you're in a better climate than that, you can get more than one harvest outdoor in a year by doing that.
1: Right. You can get one early summer crop and then
6: a a later summer crop.
3: Some places, even a a third one.
6: (laughs) And uh, consider the east side of the state, too. It's a very well-kept secret (laughs) in terms of growing Uh, 300 days of sunshine a year.
3: It's not oh, rainy everywhere. Yeah,
6: Yakima Valley, around Walla Walla, Columbia Crest, up that away, some really, really good area. Anywhere the wine is. Okay.
0: And some of the techniques I've looked at is getting some of the bigger and fuller indica buds and stuff, and just as you trim off the lower stuff, going and trimming off every other note at the top, because then you end up with a popcorn popcorn bud configuration instead of one huge top cola that possibly will get mold in the inner core and all that kind of stuff and also working with BT to try and early in the vegetative cycle to try to keep the surface of the plant kind of inconducive to such growth. Working with what? With BT. BT. Yeah.
3: Questions?
7: Um, my question is for DJ Short and you were explaining the um, process in which you get to, like, an F5 and your selection. When you said that you were selecting off of your F5, the male and the female, from that F5, are you selfing those two together? And could you explain the process of... What selfing means or cubing means? Give it a little more yeah. explanation. To no, that. I
6: don't do selfing. Selfing is where you take a female plant and encourage male pods and its own pollen to come and go. That's how feminized seeds are made. I do straightforward filial um, crosses. Um, what specifically did you. Sure. <laughs> Sorry.
7: I'm, what I'm curious about is the way you explained it. You it sounded like you said that you were going to take the um, off the F5 generation, so you're going to just select a male and a female, and you're going to put those two together. Correct. So you so basically it's an IBL, it's an inbred line completely. Yes. They're going back and back. So every generation. You're selecting from that generation. You don't put back to the same original mother.
6: Yeah, it's an inbred line, but it's by subjective means. Again, that berry flavor is, is the example I was using before. It could be anything, any flavor. Uh, basically, my main goal is the effect of the finished product. I really don't care how the plant grows, what it looks like, tastes like, smells like. All those things are secondary considerations. If I get two things that do exactly the same thing in terms of effect of the finished product and one tastes better than the other one, of course, I'll go for the one that tastes better. But it has to have that um, you know, finished effect, uh, the quality that I'm looking for. Um,
7: And so the best method you're saying to get to the point where, like, you take 10 seeds and 75% are uniform in in their genotype, Mm -hmm. the best way is to go to an F5 and put two from the same?
6: Sure, or either that or just uh, select a mother plant. Okay. and then keep your mother plant going.
7: And that's, that's what I thought. I, I, would, I would see that being as, as, as something more where you you keep kind of yes, the strength that, of your...
6: That's the most logical. And, and I released F5s for a reason, because there's a few more generations of that uh, land race uniqueness Uh, left in them. I found when I get out to about the eighth generation, definitely by the tenth indoors, they acclimate to that environment. Sure, They lose most of what's unique. Now, you can pick one or two traits that you want to harden, and you can take that a hundred generations, but it's just for the one or two traits. You try bringing any more uh, variables into that, it just turns into chaos. Okay, cool. Thank you. You're welcome.
5: This is a question for any of you.
7: Have you found within a strain how to manipulate, say, the terpene profile by controlling growing conditions to any
3: great degree, and and is it predictable?
0: I recently read a report that was correlates uh, terpene manufacture with nutrient application, and the great Mel Frank is the one who turned me onto that piece of paper. So me and Mel Frank have kind of been going back and forth on you know nutrient application and high levels of this produce high levels of that. So I, I encourage you to look into it. There's a lot there, I think.
6: And, and light frequency as well. Absolutely.
0: One
7: more quick question to DJ Short on uh, my part is, how or actually both you and Swerve, um, how do you guys select for your males? How do you how do you choose your males? What what are some things that you guys?
6: Again, the biggest, fastest one gets cut out. That's counterintuitive for most people, but know, it's I interesting know. that it you is. say that. But in experience, like I said, big, fast growing plants produce fiber, um, not so much resin. Uh, hollow stems is another thing to look for. Flavors, smoke the mail. Uh, Vaporizers are great for that, the Volcano Vaporizer, and you definitely want to recalibrate baseline state. You want to be as non-altered as possible when you're testing the males to pick up on the subtleties. Uh, There are some that are potent. There are some that have resin, and they pass that on. Uh, Potency is not the pinnacle for me. Um, Other other factors are involved. You're looking for, like, a cerebral quality to the high... Correct. A and it's lasting. hard. It's hard to ascertain from the male, but again, if you're at a baseline state, you can kind of get an idea, especially for flavors, potency, those kinds of things. Those are more obvious than the subtle characteristics. And there really is no way to determine uh, what a male does until you, you know, pollinate a female, harvest that seed, cure the seed, sprout it, and grow it out. There is no shortcut. Sort. Choosing males?
5: I like really stout, solid, stinky males. I know that sounds so horrible to say. (laughs) Okay. Say that again. I like short, stout, stinky males. Reason why is because exactly like DJ here said is those males that just, those plants that take off and they're literally a foot taller than everything else, it's exactly that. It's hemp. You're not even going to want to waste your time I mean, you're more than welcome to, but as experienced, you know, will say get rid of it and run something that you're looking forward or for in particular. If you're looking for a more short male, if you're looking for something that has more branching in particular, uh, I've noticed that uh, the pungent aroma from a male will transpire into something that creates a heavy hit. I mean, I'm not going to say beat your plants up, but I'm not exactly the nicest individual to my plants. I, I I'm, I'm I abuse them and use them. You know what I mean? I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that that I get the the smells and I get everything that I'm looking for from it. If I break it, I'm I'm hoping that it's gonna fix itself fast. And I'm looking for you know the growth from the bottom to shoot to the top, as opposed to just one that takes its time. You know, you're when you're looking for males, I'm looking for something that's got that vigor. But I'm looking for something that's got the all-around stability package, not just I'm running off and I'm going to win the race, but I'm going to have the stamina, I'm going to have the capability, and I'm going to have the end result to win the race. Nice. So I don't cool. know if anybody understands that or not. But
1: <laughs> On a side note, are you going to be giving away some stuff tonight at the homegrown party at the Wamu
5: Center? <laughs> I always give stuff away. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? If it's not free, fuck it, right? But no, for real, uh, you know the Washington Mutual or the Wamu Theater Center, whatever it's, it is. It's right it's between
1: the, the two big stadiums yeah. there, it's, and uh, yeah, we've got slightly stupid and Redman, Carl Denson,
5: yeah, Marlon Asher. Awesome! I can't wait. And we got Cali all types connection. of free stuff to give away. You know, us. a bunch of free stuff to give away. If so you've I ever seen see our you guys parties? There. Yeah, we throw away the bank. We give it to everybody. <laughs> you want the front? You want the kitchen sink? <laughs> Give us a moment, we'll get it for you. Just be careful and catch it safely.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, any other questions, guys? Yeah. <laughs> Dance guy? Dance guy? <laughs> oh,
7: okay. um, I have a question for you guys that work with genetics. Um, what do you think we'll be smoking in five years,
0: and what are you guys working on personally? Are we, are we going to see more cookies, more tangents? Hopefully or, we'll uh... be
4: smoking and not just... Dabbing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it for flowers and strains and joints
1: and bong hits. I love a dab as much as the next guy, but uh, strains are very important. Popping seeds is very important. Um, feminized seeds are easy to grow. Auto-flowering seeds are easy to grow. But the only way you're going to find new genetics, and you guys can probably concur with this is by popping seeds, uh, regular seeds, for males and females. And that's the only place, genetically, where new varieties will ever come from. And we talked a little bit about mother plants and cloning. And that's an important skill to have. Um, Basically very easy if you factor in two very important variables, the heat and the humidity. And that's really... uh, when you take a cutting of a plant, you cut a piece off of a, a mother plant that's in the vegetative stage, and you're, you're inducing that cut end to produce roots and become a plant of its own. So it's the same as you know a gra- your grandmother would put you know ivy in a glass of water and roots will pop out. But when you're dealing with cannabis, it's a little tougher. You want to have a heat pad and a tray with a lid, a uh, clear lid on top that will keep the humidity in there. Room temperature is not enough to really induce roots. So you want to warm it up, and that's that makes you self-sufficient. That way, you don't have to buy hundred pack hundred dollar packs of seeds every time you want to grow. You grow out a mother plant. You take cuttings from it to your to your heart's delight, as many as you want. So,
3: one little tip about taking cuttings, if I could. Um... You can take the cut right from the plant, you know, as close to the main stock as possible. Take that, put it in a glass of water or something like that, and hold it until you're ready to actually put it in the rooting hormone and then put it in your uh, like whatever your rock wall or whatever. But the very important thing I found is when you make your final like ultimate cup cut for the clone, submerge it in water, like the same distilled water you know you would use to do uh, seeds with because when you make the cut immediately the plant like the way it feeds itself there's a constant like suction from the bottom to the top that's how it brings itself you know nutrients and stuff so when you make the cut it's going to suck in a bunch of air which is going to immediately start to kill the cell wall inside of the branch so if you make that cut underwater and then go directly into your rooting hormone you'll have a way more success uh, from what i've found i I don't know if you guys know you
4: know I just want to address uh, the gentleman back there that asked what we'd be smoking in five years from now. And my answer is a lot more legal weed. That's what I'm hoping for. And I want want to address all you young people out here a little, especially in that, um, you know, you're approaching a newfound freedom. And I can understand everybody being really excited and thankful for it. But I want to ask everybody to help preserve this new freedom that we have. I'm not asking everybody to be a role model and take on a big responsibility, but you know what? This is a new privilege that we've just been granted here, and I'd like everybody to to respect it in, to some degree. Respect people around you who may not appreciate marijuana smoke and things like that, and let's help forward the le- the, the, the federal legalization so that we can stop all this criminality and stop all the nonsense. And and just further this movement. And I want everybody here to, to feel a little bit
5: responsible for that.
3: Yeah, you're all ambassadors, right? Yeah. Huh?
5: I believe uh, Roger Waters and the Pink Floyd said it best. Same. Together we stand, divided we fall. <laughs> it's simple. Together yeah. we are the force, but divided, we're nothing. We're useless. Yeah,
1: and uh, a lot of times, like I said, to start this whole thing off, people have all these conspiracies about what's going to happen. None of that can happen if we're in charge. This is our industry. And when the big money people come in and they want to they still need us. And they they know nothing without us. So, you know, see, it's that's important. Why we, need
4: to, we need to set an example because if we don't set an example for these people, then these Big, these big companies will come in and they will set the example so we can't be the negative stories in the news every day giving the country a reason to follow these big corporations we want to show them that we are in control of our culture and that we are responsible enough to bring this into the next into the future mm-hmm.
3: yeah, not only that but we built this industry yep. you know? we're straight. RJ Reynolds didn't build this industry we've been risking our ass forever to do this you know <laughs> So, so we cannot, you know, we need to identify what our leverage is against them. And that's our knowledge of what good weed is. That's our knowledge of how to produce good weed. They don't know that. We right. know that. You know, we need to keep our leverage. and Like what these guys are saying, be good ambassadors and never, never let weed turn into packs of weed at 7-Eleven.
1: Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, uh, and the real key to that is to grow your own. They they allow us to grow a certain amount of plants, get the most out of every plant, grow your own, share it with your friends. There's a reason I called my podcast Free Weed from Danny Danko. I mean, obviously, everybody loves free weed. But the idea is, it just like any other vegetable or flower in your garden, you grow it, you share it with your friends you barter with your friends, and it takes all the cost and commodity out of it. It's pot for pennies when you grow it. So uh, if you can't grow it, and you have a friend that grows it, and you make pickles, trade your pickles for their pot, and you know keep the, the commerce you know, out of it. It's not necessary.
0: <laughs> Are you
1: suggesting we trade pickles for a pot? <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> That's his all, next story both, in the They January both come in time. glass jars. They both come in glass jars. And, uh, you know, pickles are good when you're stoned. <laughs> <laughs> hey there. I just wanted to interrupt for a moment to tell you about one of our sponsors. And this is a great one. This is a vape pen sponsor called Power Pen. These guys have the most affordable pen I have found at $50. They, they come in black or white. Uh, you can check them out yourself at powerpen.com. It's actually power-pen. dash. Pen, P-O-W-E-R dash Pen.com. they've got uh, a great instagram which is power pen uh, look them up on instagram to see lots of pictures of their stuff these come in black and white like i said they're 50 dollars, and they have a special deal for free weed listeners if you put the code high times all capital letters uh, no spacing high times use that promo code you will get free shipping so literally a $50 vape pen. Thank you very much to PowerPen, our new sponsor. So check them out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and be sure to tell them that Free Weed sent you.
0: Any more questions? You guys, questions? Mr. Danko, do you work for the Pickle Foundation? (laughs) Heady Pickles.
3: That's the real conspiracy.
1: Dance, dance guy.
5: I just wanted to second your uh, comment about growing from regular seeds. But at the same time, we need to talk to the breeders because all the newer uh, strains are coming up, feminized only, and we really need to get some... Well, reject them and don't
4: grow them.
1: (laughs) It's really up to us as consumers. If people are lazy and they want to grow autoflowering feminized seeds, uh, you know it's really big in Europe because they just you know they, they want to plant a seed they want to walk away come back in 90 days and harvest uh, but you know this isn't a hobby that works that way I mean that's one way you can pull it off well, because
4: Europe doesn't have the Mendocino National Forest and it doesn't have <laughs> Texas and all this extra land so they, they have no they don't have extra space we have a little bit more space and we have elbow room and there's no need to grow feminized seeds and to mongoloid the whole gene pool yeah
1: yeah. I mean, I, like, I would say there's a, there's a place for everything. There's a place for that. Uh, some climates, you know, you need an autoflowering plant in the Yukon because you just don't have long enough to, you know, flower. Or if you're at a high altitude or that sort of thing. So there's a place for it, but the most important thing is the only way you're going to get new, unique genetics is from regular seeds and from growing them out and selecting the ones you like the best for their effects, Yes.
0: Uh, DJ Short talked about three days of darkness at the end of the cycle for budding. I had an old hippie friend that said that, but he couldn't remember why. So how about what's the benefits?
6: Sure. Uh, Light is what breaks down cannabinoids. Uh, The tests have been done to show THC levels were lowest. uh, When uh, lights were going off, right before the lights went off, they were highest right before the lights went on or right before the sun comes up. It's highest. Um, so basically, if you can do the whole room, just, just darken it. I like to time it with uh, watering. I, I grow in soil, um, so you know the cycle. You water the plant, they, they put their leaves up, they're all happy, and then as the water's going, they're getting thirsty, the leaves are coming down. So, right about during that time, they're starting to come down. That's when I do the uh, three days of darkness, and the uh, shade leaves are already starting to get. Uh, Crunchy—it's—it's—it's it's me- it's, uh, uh, curing on the plant, but the plant is still producing oils, and the light's not breaking down the oils or the terpenes. Um, so that's the reason.
0: Light oxidizes, and can- uh, terpenes and cannabinoids are photosensitive, and that's why GW Pharmaceuticals, after they harvest their plants, they're never exposed to regular light—only amber light.
1: It's one reason we say when you're storing cannabis, always store it in a, a cool, dark place um, because light degrades THC. Uh, I guess that's it for the seminar today. We're going to do another one tomorrow uh, with a whole different cast of characters. I want to thank my panel. Uh, Kay from Tricome Technologies, Drew West. Check out his book, uh, Secrets of the West Coast Masters. The inimitable Kyle Cushman. Veganics, Cali Connection, Swerve, Swerve from Cali Connection, check out the party tonight for sure, and the legendary DJ Short. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you guys, too. Thanks for coming. I hope you guys learned something. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that. We are back to wrap it up with raw, which is where what I always wrap it up with. And uh, yeah, um, we taped. I guess we taped another uh, seminar there as well. Uh, yeah, the you next day did a
2: free weed on Saturday and Sunday, so we have yep. a second seminar.
1: Yeah, and I think Scott from Rare Dankness sat in on that. And uh, so yeah, that's that. We'll we'll put that up at some point as well as a as another episode. Uh,
2: that one has our witty banter in it at least exactly at and it starts so. with the song and mm-hmm. all that so no.
1: yeah we should definitely did be putting some crowd that work
2: at, i believe some crowd work as well yeah i think singing to your water came up at some <laughs> point uh, so yeah yeah <laughs> so, that'll, so look forward to that that's coming up and uh as we mentioned at the top of the show look forward to amsterdam the 26th yeah. cup uh dan has a promo code why don't you remind them what oh that is? yeah
1: d-a-n-k-o you write danko in the promo code area and you get 10 percent off your amsterdam cup tickets so i hope you can join us over there um it's going to be a fun time we've got the venue and and the milkweg for the nighttime parties and all kinds of interesting stuff going on so it's going to be fun, and I hope you guys can join us.
2: Yes, and uh, we will be doing free weeds from Amsterdam, as always, so that's exciting. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, go to hightimes.com. Check out some of that Seattle Cup stuff. There's some great video of uh, of the Cup, and of course, the uh, winner's gallery, where you can get a look at the top pot, hash, and edibles from Seattle.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm also I'm putting up uh, different Amsterdam Cup memories uh, up there on the website as well. So we did one with Kid Cudi and... Uh, appearing at our 2010 cup and i'm just going to be putting up some photos and some interesting uh, memories of different amsterdam cannabis cups because some pretty epic things occur at every at every one so that's um, true yeah. yeah and while so we're on that, that
2: topic you can go and see dan's dutch travel tips go to hightimescom slash dutch travel tips and that's dan telling you the do's and don'ts of being in holland so that's exciting
1: <laughs> yep you got anything else Ah, uh, no, I think that's it. Episode number 43. All right, is in the books. Put it in the books. Done.